welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Uh, Mike is the fastest pastor, just so you know. Uh, if you say that phrase fast, it's fun. Uh, what's like six miles? Six minute miles? How? How? Seven? Thirty? So he's right. So he's the fastest. This is true, and I'm the slowest. Uh, eight and a half hours was how long it took me. So if I can do it, you can do it. Uh, one of the worst things to do, just saying this, is follow uh, my wife. In most circles, I'm known as Sinead's husband. So uh, that's supposed to be funny. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, wow, rough. Um, I'll say this, we're, we're in a we're in a series on uh, a Lent series called Into the Wilderness. We've been exploring what it means to, uh, to go into the wilderness of Lent together, following Jesus. And marathons are wildernesses for me. I, they're exactly what you'd think. You're thirsty, you're crabby, you reach the end of yourself. But just like uh, seems to happen in the stories in Scripture, when people go into the wilderness, they hear God's voice. Uh, I kind of hate this. I wish I heard God speak to me clearly on my couch with my Bible. Um, it's like at mile 13 when I want to punch people walking next to me, running next to me, that I hear his voice. So uh, there is that whole piece. I hear God talk to me a lot when I'm running. So we're going to talk about Hagar today. Um, Hagar is a, a, a woman. So there's that. Uh, she goes into the wilderness. She runs away into the wilderness and I'd been studying this for, uh, for a couple weeks, just sitting in the story and thinking about it. And uh, about Tuesday of this week, after sitting in this story for, for really two weeks, it hit me, uh, I'm a runaway. Like, when I was 10, 11, 12, I ran away from home. I'm not kidding. Like, 10, 11, 12 times. And that, for me, meant taking a blanket and a granola bar or five, and hiding underneath the, um, the stairs coming down from our deck in order to manipulate my parents into missing me. <laughs> Messed up, right? Like, that's weird crap. But I did that a whole bunch, and I had forgotten about it. Like, huh. And then there was this one time, the last time I ran away when I was, when I was 15, I... I, I literally ran a, a mile and a half. I, I, I Google mapped it, how far it was that I ran, uh, like just in pure terror and pure fear, because I had to get out. I had to be somewhere else. And the psychology behind running away is you think that by changing your external geography, you're going to change your internal geography. But what you learn is, it follows you, because typically the problems aren't everybody else. The problems are me. The problems are you. So the mind is a weird thing, because I, I can't believe that I had shoved that part of my life so far into the corner that I could be reading about running away and not going, oh yeah, I did that. It's what terror and fear does to us. It's traumatic. It traumatizes us. Hagar had a traumatic experience. Um, we're going to look at her story today. She's a pregnant runaway fleeing from an abusive home into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, she finds a spring. She finds an unexpected source of life, which also includes hearing 
God's voice speak to her, which also includes her being seen. There in her darkest moment, God sees Hagar, and Hagar sees God. And so if there's anything that you grab from us looking at this story today, it's this. God sees you. He notices you. He knows you. He is interested in you. What I want to do is I want us to just explore this story together, kick it around, look at it, pull it apart a little bit, wonder what it would have been like to be Abram, to be Sarai, to be Hagar. And as we're doing that, I want you to hold a question inside. What does it mean for me to live remembering that I'm seen? What does that mean for me to live remembering that I'm seen? So as we look at this story, uh, I've got a couple of requests. The first is I don't, uh, I'd like to invite you to slow down on the vilification of Abram and Sarai. Right? These are supposed to be two heroes of our faith. They're complete schmucks in the story. And the easiest thing for us to do would be to go, bad, they're bad. But if we can just take a deep breath, we can see ourselves in their story. We can see places where we might be doing the things um, that, that they're doing. Uh, I want to invite you to uh, stand up as we read together from Genesis 16. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from? Where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she said. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant. You will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For God has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who had spoken to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well is called Ber Laharoi. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael. Let's pray. Abba, we come to you this morning, and more than anything, we want eyes to see eyes to see this story, eyes to see ourselves in it, eyes to see you in our lives, in our story, to know that we're seen people, to know you by the same name that Hagar comes to know you in the wilderness, the God who sees. We love you. Amen. Amen. You can grab a seat.
few quick big picture things just to talk about before we, we hop in. Um, what a gift that the angel would tell Hagar to name her son Ishmael, which means God has heard, he has seen your affliction. Imagine what it would be for her to go back to Abram and Sarai and to name her son that. Because you know going home after you run away isn't an easy thing. Everything is not automatically better. Uh, things remained tense between Sarai and Hagar. But to have that gift that every time you look at your son, you remember what happened in the wilderness, what happened in the desert, what happened in the dry place of your life. And God said, I have seen you suffering. So this is a tremendous gift for Hagar, but also a tremendous gift for Abram and Sarai. Because names meant something. When they would say his name, Ishmael, they would know exactly what was being said. That God had seen the suffering of Hagar. And the whole Ishmael, this whole debacle, this whole situation um, that, that happens, it does something profound. It leads to freedom for Hagar. Hagar is a slave. And when she bears a son to Abram, she suddenly becomes no longer a slave woman, but becomes one of Abram's wives. So her story changes. The debacle uh, changes the whole thing. Hagar's story is also, uh, <clears throat> it's about as subversive as you can get. Uh, the moment in the story, we have Hagar, an Egyptian, who is more heroic, as it were, than Abram and Sarai. Now just like think of that for like just um, like what would why? What is happening? 16 chapters in to the book of Genesis to the origin story for the Hebrews is the origin story for the Arabs. Your brothers. And then there is this it's almost an inversion of the Exodus story. Uh, in the Exodus story, you have oppressed Hebrews fleeing into the wilderness from who? Egyptians. From Egyptians that are afflicting them. Well, in this story, before the Exodus, you have an Egyptian fleeing from oppressive Jews into the wilderness. It's flipped completely up on its head. Hagar is the first person in Scripture to meet God in the wilderness. And this meeting God in the wilderness is a long, long motif. It's a pattern. It's what God's people tend to do all the time. When stuff happens, they end up in the wilderness, in the wild, where nothing else is to meet with God. And Hagar is the first person. She begins the pattern. Hagar's a woman. It's not just men. That even in the beginning of Genesis, that God is working through. Hagar is the first person to name and describe God in the scriptures. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi, El Shaddai, that long list of names that we, we, we put towards God about how we see him, how we experience God, who God is for us. She's the first person in scripture to give God a name like that, El Roy, the God who sees. She's not Jewish. This isn't her God. 
She's an Egyptian. This is the God of Abram and Sarai, her oppressors, that she's running away from. This is a huge deal. Smack dab, 16 chapters into the first book in Scripture, this story puts a hard full stop to the idea that God is only interested in certain types, certain flavors, certain persuasions of people. God, it, it's as though the story is saying, stop, God sees everyone. Don't draw boundaries that don't need to be drawn. The Hagar story is subversive. Now, how did Hagar get in the story? Because she just sort of shows up in chapter 16. We haven't really met her. And uh, 10 years before Hagar finds herself in the wilderness pregnant, Abram and Sarai set off in response to God's invitation for them to go to a land that God will show them. They set out, and about a year into their journey, about a year of them stepping into God's promise, there's famine in the land, and so they head to Egypt. Strange how that seems to happen a lot. Famine pushes them into Egypt, and uh, Abram and Sarai most likely acquire Hagar there. They acquire Hagar as a dowry for Sarai. Now wait, you might say, isn't Sarai already married to Abram? Why would someone give a dowry for a woman who's already married? Well, Abram was nervous when he headed into Egypt that they would find Sarai a little too beautiful and they would get rid of him so that they could take Sarai as their own. You can't make this stuff up. Like this is, I mean, that's what, this is, what he, this is exactly what, what's, what it says. It says, now here, I know well that you are a woman fair to look at. It will be when the Egyptians see you and say, she is his wife, that they will kill me, but they will allow you to live. Pray, say that you are my sister. So it may go well with me on your account that I may live thanks to you. Honey, you're way too beautiful for Egypt. <laughs> How about this? How about you pretend to be my sister and, you know, we'll pull a fast one on them. By the way, Hagar is actually Abram's half-sister. So just, you know, put that in your pocket and remember that uh, when you think this story is weird. It is a little weird. Things are different. So, uh... Hagar's in the story because Abram correctly assessed and navigated danger that he sensed when he went into Egypt that he had to pretend that Sarai would be his sister and then they got a dowry and they acquired Hagar through this whole insane subterfuge. That's how Hagar gets in the story. Now the question that I'm thinking of when this happens is, right, like you had this profound moment where you left everything, everything, and... and God didn't even tell you where to go. He didn't say to Abram, he's like, take 10 steps forward and then 10 steps left. He said, go to a land that I will show you. So in, in a year's worth of time, Abram has gone from, all right, I'm going to take a total step in faith to going like, all right, I got to take control of this. I got to figure out a way to make this work. And he, I wonder, did he forget that God sees him? Is that why they ended up in Egypt? Is that why in Egypt he played a little game to take care of himself with his wife did Abram forget how God saw him now imagine being in Sarai's shoes they've been waiting 10 years for an heir she's not getting any younger uh, and the promise was to a nation right and Rome wasn't built in the day 
Uh, you can't build a nation in a day. So 10 years is a long time to wait for something. And I would imagine some of the things that Sarai might be wondering are, uh, is this my fault? Is God not fulfilling his promise to Abram because there's something wrong with me? Imagine the shame she felt. She couldn't even fulfill the most basic part of what her culture expected from her. She couldn't even do that. Probably saw kids running everywhere. They had a huge entourage with them. There were probably children running everywhere. Every time she saw a child, what would she feel? Shame. So she has a, a, a brilliant idea. She thinks, uh, I'm going to take some, some of these matters into my own hands. Maybe God needs my help. Ever said that? Yes. Help you out a little bit, Lord. Uh, you know, you're busy. You got a lot of things going on. Uh, and so she decides that she's going to give one of her servants, Hagar, to, uh, to function as a surrogate, as a, as a proxy. Right? This is like maybe the earliest like in vitro we have in, 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 you know, like in history. Like, okay, this is how this is going to work. And it was totally cool. This was an, an acceptable thing to do in their society. Uh, Hammurabi's code makes room for how this is to be handled. The law of the day for Abram where they were living. And so Sarai starts to see Hagar poorly. Friends, people are not solutions to our problems. Hagar was far more than a womb for Sarai, but Sarai forgot. And I would set forth that Sarai forgot who Hagar was because Sarai forgot who she was. So Sarai enacts this, this plan, this genius plan to help God along. And there's this subtle shift in the story on who is directing the course of things. What voice is being listened to? This story with Abram and Sarai begins in Genesis 12 with God's voice. God said, go forth from your land, from your kindred, from your father's house to the land that I will let you see. Abram went as Yahweh had spoken to him. It continues in Genesis 15. God said, be not afraid, Abram. I am a delivering shield for you. Your reward shall be exceedingly great. Look toward the heavens. Count the stars. Can you even count them? And God said to Abram, so shall your seed be. Now Abram trusted in Yahweh, and it was deemed as righteous merit on his part. Up till this point in the story, we're listening to Yahweh's voice, to Yahweh's direction. But there's a shift in Genesis 16. Sarai says to Abram, now, Yahweh has obstructed me from bearing. Pray, come unto my maid, perhaps I may be built up with sons through her. Abram hearkened, listened to Sarai's voice, came into Hagar, and she became pregnant. And if you have ears to hear, you recognize that we are suddenly back in the garden again. Did God really say, don't do that? Did God really say, I will make you a great nation? Did God really say that? The voice that's being listened to changes. We move from Yahweh to Sarai. 
And so Sarai's plan to produce a child, just like Abram's plan to stay safe in Egypt, works. Not perfectly. There are some problems, but it works. One of the problems is Hagar now thinks maybe she's a little better than Sarai. Because, well, wouldn't you? I can give Abram a son. You can't. I'll be favored. And so this tinderbox of a family unit begins to smoke. This thing turns just sour really fast. Sarai uh, goes to Abram and says, uh, this woman you got pregnant now thinks she's better than me. Do something. Get involved. Now, this is part of why polygamy is a bad idea. Because <laughs> what is Abram supposed to do? This was your idea. I didn't say, hey, Hagar's looking good. Send her my way, you know? Let's see what happens. It wasn't his idea. He just said, yes, dear. Which means you're not supposed to get in trouble when you say, yes, dear. But you do get in trouble. I get in trouble when I say, yes, dear. Uh, so Abram gets put in an impossible situation, and he makes probably the best choice that he can make in the situation. He says, you figure it out, Sarai. This is your plan. Peace out. I'm gone. He goes into his man cave, binge watches, whatever they binged watch back then. And Sarai, still being forgetful about how God sees her and about how God sees Abram, that God would even see Hagar, an Egyptian, she begins treating Hagar harshly. She begins afflicting her, abusing her. Hagar, pregnant unable to find help from anyone around her, runs away. She takes off. Now, it's a special flavor of forgetting who you are when you abuse a pregnant woman. Right? If there's any moment you should realize life is precious, it's that moment where you can be reminded. But Sarah is so deep in her pain she can't, she can't do anything. She can't see it. Hagar runs. She sits down, this thirsty, broken, frightened woman, and she finds a spring of water, unexpected life, and she meets a messenger of God there, who, by the way, not her God. This is the God of those who are not treating her well. And the messenger speaks, Hagar, where have you come from? Where are you going? Hagar responds, a place where I have not been seen. I'm unseen. A place where your people have forgotten who and whose they are. The voice speaks again. Hagar, return and let yourself suffer. I will make your descendants many, too many to count. Two things. Does that not sound like what God promised Abram? I will make your descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky. God makes the same promise to Hagar. Almost the same. They'll be too numerous for you to count. I think that's interesting. And the other thing that we just have to like say here is there's this moment where the angel of the Lord sends Hagar back to abuse. If you're here 
and you're going home to abuse, this story is not telling you to go back to that, to accept that. It is not telling you that it is okay. It is not telling you that you're supposed to suffer abuse, that abuse is normal. I haven't really figured out how to do business with this because it, it bothers me a little bit. It bothers me a lot. But don't leave here today. Serious, don't leave here today thinking, I should go home to abuse. Because that's not what this is telling us. The voice speaks as Hagar, return and let yourself suffer. It says, you're pregnant. Name your son. Call him Ishmael. God has heard and responded to your affliction. This will be a sign to all, 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 all. To, to you, to a bronze, that God has heard, he has seen your affliction. And then Hagar names Yahweh. She describes him. You, God of seeing. Have I actually gone on seeing here after God has seen me? Holy ground. Therefore the well there was called the well of the living one who sees me. And Hagar returned. There's a million pictures in that last phrase. And Hagar returned. What kind of courage would it have taken? What changed in her? Her internal geography changed. She was seen. Which meant she could go back. She could return. It's easy for us to say, God sees me. But to have an experience in the wilderness when you're at the end and to be seen in that moment is tremendous. The first year I ran a marathon, it took me eight and a half hours to do. Um, I got hurt training and then just decided I was going to go ahead and do it. And about mile 13, the wheels completely came off the bus. And what had started to happen was there was no water for me on the course, which, which if you know anything about running, you know water is pretty important uh, if you're out there. On top of that, all the other support started to go away. There were no bananas. There was no goo, gel, whatever it was for me. It was all gone. On top of that, the buses were in front of me, and I was sucking exhaust. <laughs> right? Like, the cards were stacked completely against me, and it started to feel like an absolute wilderness. The person I had been running with, he uh, was far more prepared than me. He'd been running backwards with me for like a mile. <laughs> I was like, dude, just go. Just please leave. I feel like you're, just go. Right? And I hit this spot where I was like, does, any, does anyone see me? I have no resources. I can't get myself through and out of this. There's a guy named Sammy who made it his goal to get me across the finish line. He followed me in his truck. He gave me food. He gave me gels. He bought donuts. 
made sure we had water. I met somebody out there. Right when my friend left, I met another guy, a guy named Mike. Mike and I walked the last 13 miles together with a, another gal named Tammy. There was this moment at the end of all, in the wilderness, at the edge, that God showed me that he saw me, that he was interested in me. And it absolutely changed me. Because I think maybe God doesn't see me most of the time. Because in some ways, I'm still running away. But friends, in the wilderness, at the end, Elroy, the God who sees, reveals. And it changes everything for us. We're going to take a moment and we're going to be still. We're going to be quiet. And I want to ask you to just think, to meditate, to ponder, to wonder what could, what would my life be like if I knew that I was seen by God? take a moment and do that. Abba. The God who sees. This morning if we find ourselves like Abram and Sarai, forgetful, Lost, afraid, ashamed. We find ourselves seeing people as solutions. We find ourselves being people who afflict others because of the pain inside of us. Will you, in your tender way, speak to our hearts? Remind us that we're seen and loved. We find ourselves like Hagar, wondering if we're seen, wondering if anyone hears our cries. Would you let this space this morning be for us a place of being seen, of being known? We love you. Amen. We're going to take just a few moments together to sing and to respond together. If you need prayer for anything, if there's stuff going on inside, uh, we've got a space for prayer over to my right. We have people who are trained that would love to listen to you, to pray with you, um, to remind you of how you're held. We have kneelers in the pews and in some different spots. You can, you can pop those out and kneel down. The band will be uh, singing some songs. You can stand and sing if you'd like to do that, or you can sit and just let the words just pass over you. But friends, don't miss this moment. Don't miss this opportunity to see and to be seen. Let's respond together. I think part of the reason why in the stories of Scripture, 
and the script that we're giving what it, uh, to what it looks like to follow God, that there is this experience of hearing God in the desert, in the wild, isn't because that's where he begins speaking, but because it's where we begin listening. It's the place where we run out of resources, where we run out of ideas. We reach the end of ourselves. So hear that this morning. If you find yourself there, look for God. Listen. When we're done here uh, in just a moment, I invite you forward if you're interested in uh, running the marathon with Team World Vision. Uh, take about 10 minutes. Come on up. We'll meet right up front here. I invite you to stand up <clears throat> as we close uh, with a benediction, with ascending. Friends, may the bell be rung loud in your heart that you are seen and loved people. So go, carrying that into every part of your life. Grace and peace, friends. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.